The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. Well, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Turn in your scriptures, please, Matthew chapter 26, uh, verse 69 to verse 75. A reading of Peter's denial. That's why we've just sung... Uh, that psalm. You'll find this on page 833 in your pew Bible. This is the Word of God. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean? But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you two are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Amen. Let's pray. (coughs) Have mercy upon us, most gracious God, that now through your word we might not only behold the sinfulness of the heart of even the Christian, but we might see and magnify your mercy and grace in delivering sinners from sin. We confess readily without you we cannot do anything But with you all things are possible. Bless us richly then, almighty God, that we might hear your word and look to the Savior. Those of us that know him, we might look more lovingly and with more zeal. And if there be any in our midst, Lord, who do not know the Savior, we plead with you, do that great work of salvation in them this very day. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, our passage today is one of the more poignant passages of Scripture. It's a narrative of failure, of cowardice, and a narrative of denial. The rock that was Peter crumbles under the pressure of cross-examination over his relationship with his Lord. And his denials become increasingly more zealous and clear, even to the point where he puts a curse upon himself if he knows Jesus. You see, Peter's great desire here is to save his own skin by disassociating himself from his Lord. And we learn in this, friends, the great danger 
that exists even in the Christian, the great danger of unbelief and hardness of heart that can reside within each one of us. Yet through this, because we know what comes after this narrative, through this, we also see that our Lord chooses not to disassociate himself with Peter. Our Lord chooses not to be disloyal to Peter, even though it means going to the cross for Peter's account and for our account. Not only do we learn then of the great danger of unbelief in the Christian, we learn of God's great mercy and his amazing grace to sinners like us. The passage before us is in four parts, each of the three denials and then Peter's response at the end. The first denial is there in verse 61, characterized by the words, I do not know what you mean. The first denial, I do not know what you mean. The second denial is in verse 71, where Peter says the words, I do not know the man. The third denial in verse 73 is characterized by oaths and curses. And then Peter's response after the rooster crows is his bitter sorrow. Three denials and bitter sorrow. The first denial is found there in verse 69. And we enter this passage with a great degree of solemnity, do we not? Because we understand that the one who now denies his Savior is the very same one who has brazenly advertised his loyalty to his Savior in the previous verses. Consider Peter for one moment. He, along with James and John, had a certain preeminence amongst the apostles. Peter was an ordinary man an ordinary fisherman called by Christ to follow him and be an apostle, and he was told, I will make you fishers of men. It was Peter who by faith briefly walked on the water to our Lord. It was Peter who confessed amongst the apostles that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, to which our Lord told him, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven." It was Peter who witnessed the transfiguration. It was Peter, along with James and John, who were privy to that private teaching of our Lord on the Mount of Olives, Mark 13. It was Peter whose name was changed by our Lord from Simon to Peter the Rock. It was Peter who attacked the servant of the high priest, severing his ear, attempting to defend his Lord. That's the Peter we're speaking of, a first among equals. Yet it's the same Peter who, in verse 33 of our text, belittled his brethren, the fellow apostles, and said this, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And even after our Lord rebukes him with this prophecy and saying of his denial, Peter retorts, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. The Puritan John Udall says, Here you see Peter thinking himself a valiant soldier, and yet it is not so. Out of which we note the pride of man's heart and confidence that flesh and blood conceives of oneself. 
the gospel accounts uniformly, uniformly concur with Eudel. Peter is no valiant soldier, verse 69. Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. Notice several matters about this first denial. It was a maid that disquieted Peter's self-assurance. Not an army, not firstly the group of bystanders, but a maid. Calvin says, as Peter was terrified by a woman's voice, he denies his master. It didn't take much pressure on Peter in that moment to send him into a crisis of faith. And that crisis of faith produces in him a denial. Notice the denial. It's a general denial. It's unspecific. Its design is to throw the people off his scent. He says, I do not know what you mean. You see, he's denying association with Jesus without getting into the particulars of the accusation. It's not a defense of, I didn't do it, or I don't know him. That's far too specific. He's really saying to the maid, you've got no idea what you're talking about. That's Peter's first denial, broad, general, designed to distance himself from his master without mentioning the name of his master. Notice the implied threat in the accusation. See, it's not just the voice of a woman that throws Peter into trouble. It's the voice that said, you are a friend and a follower of Jesus. And the heart of the statement is that somehow Peter and Jesus have the closest of associations. And consequently, that's what Peter seeks to deny. His association, his friendship, his following of Christ. In saying, I do not know what you mean, Peter's design is to put as much distance between himself and even the idea of Jesus. It's as if he's saying to the maid, you're out of your mind. I've got no idea what you are talking about. And moreover, he made that denial publicly. We read in verse 70, but he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. Let's pause for a moment and consider the pressure on Jesus, uh, on Peter rather, is the pressure that Christians have felt throughout all generations of the world. Out of a desire to be accepted by society or to be palatable, to avoid persecution, the temptation is there for all of us to make our relationship with the Lord Jesus invisible to the naked eye. Many of you are in the workplace, and you'll know this temptation regularly. As I reflected on this, I thought I haven't been in the workplace in the world for over 20 years now. But I remember the temptation well to sink down into my chair and appear invisible. The temptation to stay silent when corporate policy calls you to compromise your principles. The temptation to stay silent when our Lord's name is taken in vain. The pressure to work on the Lord's day when your work is not of necessity or mercy. We feel that same pressure, do we not, perhaps even in our own family gatherings. 
if we have unbelieving children or or parents uh, or siblings, the desire might be to keep the peace at all costs, to dampen our witness, to muzzle our speech wherever we find ourselves. It can be handy to the Christian to keep our association with Jesus largely invisible. And granted, Peter's circumstances are not our own, at least not yet, but the temptation is the same, to distance ourselves from our Lord for fear of persecution or challenge and change to our material circumstances. The temptation is real. The temptation is real. And if our faith is not strong, we too can softly, or as Peter did, deny our Lord. Eudel has a warning for us once again, our own carelessness and hardness of a heart and our presumption in that we persuade ourselves better of ourselves than we indeed should. Let us then awake and shake off the drowsiness of our souls. In other words, take heed to yourselves. The temptation is real. Peter not only denied once, he denied a second time, verse 71. He attempts to escape the pressure of that immediate circumstances. It says he went out to the entrance. He moves position. He removes himself only for another servant girl to find him, verse 71, who comes to, comes to the bystanders and says, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. You see, the pressure is intensifying on Peter. He's attempting to move himself further from the scene of the first denial. It's not the people who are chasing him. It's the providence of God that's chasing him, actually. And as the pressure mounts on him, so too does his own defense. Confronted with an accusation again that he was with Jesus of Nazareth, he says this, verse 72. Again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. Notice the vehemence and the specificity with which he denies his friendship with the Lord Jesus. First, he takes an oath. I swear by God, I do not know the man. He takes something holy to himself in order to emphasize the commitment of his denial. He swears an oath in order to show that he does not know Jesus. And even his denial is more specific than the generic, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, I don't know the man. The man. Because if he says Jesus, he might give the impression he knows the man. There's clarity and there's certainty to his denial. He's sworn that he does not know his Savior. And you know what that means, don't you? The commentator Leon Morris identifies this. He says the first time he denied Christ, he not only denied him, he lied. Yes, the denial was there, but he lied. I don't know him. The second time, not only did he deny, he lied, but he also perjured himself. I swear by Almighty God, I do not know the man. He took an oath to say 
he did not know Jesus. Morris comments, the first denial was a declaration that he did not know what the girl was talking about. The second denial was a clear repudiation of Jesus. And then for a moment, we read at the beginning of verse 73, that Peter is left to his own thoughts. After a little while, we read, bystanders come to him. What was going on in Peter's mind during those moments of a little while? Certainly not the conviction of sin and failure that was to come, because there is still, according to Christ's words, one more denial. Peter's third denial, point three, a denial which is accompanied by oaths and curses. Peter again is tested, verse 73, which tests him and pushes him further and further away from his Lord. The bystanders, plural, not just a single woman comes to him, but the bystanders come to him. The people who are round about him, many of them come to him and they say to him, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. As an indisputable convergence of testimony, not least through his accent, that he came from Galilee. He had a Galilean accent. The identification with Christ is apparently too great for Peter to avoid. So what does he do? He doubles down. He imprecates himself. He places a curse upon himself to show the certainty of the truth of his denial, which is a falsehood. Then he began, verse 74, to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. Notice another lie. Lie following lie. John Udall says again, lying is a fruitful sin. And upon this account, exceedingly sinful. One lie needs another lie to support it, and then another. It is a rule in the devil's politics to cover sin with sin in order to escape detection. That's what Peter's doing. More than lies, oaths and curses. The curse here is an imprecation. He's saying, may I be destroyed, or or some such end, if what I am saying is found to be a lie, which of course it was. We see these kinds of curses common in Scripture. Remember when Abraham, back in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 15, uh, took the bull and cut it down the middle, so the bull is opened up both sides, and God passes between the two sides of the sacrifice as a flaming torch. The signification of that is this. God is saying, if I break my covenant, let what has happened to this bull be done to me. Let there be an end of me in like manner as the bull. That's what Peter's saying. He's calling down destruction upon himself if it, it turns out that he has lied. The irony is Peter's doing something similar to what the Jews will do just a few hours later when they say, his blood be on us and our children. 
There's no more forceful way of demonstrating the truth of what you're saying in Jewish culture than to place a curse upon yourself. Those are the depths to which Peter the Apostle has fallen. He wished death upon himself in order to avoid association with his Lord. Calvin writes, Such as have a high opinion of their own excellencies are on the ready way to ruin. Either God infatuates them or denies a blessing to their labors or suffers them to fall into some great sin. Peter, who was so well conceited of himself as if he had more grace than all the apostles beside him, the Lord let him fall a very far way. He denied Christ with an oath, nay, an imprecation, a curse. Peter wished a curse on himself if he knew Christ, nay, some think he even cursed Christ. Friends, just consider how far Peter has fallen here. He's championed his own loyalty to Christ publicly. Now he's wishing his life away if it be found that he knows him. It's a salutary lesson for each one of us present today if you are a Christian. Galatians chapter 6 says this, Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. It's a similar message to 1 Corinthians 10. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Keep watch on yourself. Take heed lest you fall. Peter's example is surely sobering to every Christian here present today. Because this is the, this is the narrative of a Christian. Uh, granted, it's pre, pre-Pentecost, but he's still a Christian. This is not the narrative of an unbeliever. It's a narrative of a child of God. And it shows the depths we can all fall if we do not watch our walk, if we do not keep watch on ourselves, if we do not take heed to ourselves. This could be us. It shows the depths we can fall to if we're not constantly vigilant walking by faith. Thomas Watson says this, Peter's denying of Christ was for lack of denying himself. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that sobering? Peter had not sufficiently denied himself in his life. So at this point, he was prepared to deny his Lord. What does that mean? Peter clearly has an idol of self. He has an idol of position. He wants to be the one at Jesus' right hand. We see that right throughout the text before us, back in verse 33, back in verse 35. He has this idea of himself that he is greater, stronger, wiser than all the other disciples. He thinks much of himself. And the Lord brings it crashing down all at once, in spectacular style. Oh, how pride has blinded Peter's eyes. His own capacity to fail. He's overestimated his own strengths. 
and grossly underestimated his own weaknesses. Friends, the same can happen to us. And yet in our circumstances, we would have to say that the manner of our denying Christ is perhaps different to Peter's. We do not have the same level of persecution that he faced. Not yet anyway, it might happen one day. But we don't have that same level of stress. But there is for us a ready road also to the denial of Christ, even as professors of the faith. There is that slow degrading and eroding of a profession of faith that can happen. The degrading and eroding by the standards and messages of the world. Our Lord Jesus spoke didn't on the parable of the sower about that, that, those seeds that grew up but then were throttled by thorns. We can deny Christ as much through indifference to him as we can under persecution. Peter thought he stood. Friend, is that you today? Do you think you stand? Are you enamored by your own abilities, your own strengths, your own service to the Lord? Do you live denying the weakness that is obvious and inherent in you? Or perhaps, dear friend, you are becoming increasingly in love with the world. The love of the world, which will choke out love for Christ. Take heed lest you fall. Because it will lead to unforgettable and unimaginable sorrow. And that's what we see here in Peter's experience, his bitter sorrow, verse 74. <clears throat> Peter's bitter sorrow, midway through verse 74, after he has put a curse on himself, we read this, and immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Is it not ironic that out of all the teaching Peter had, all the exposure to our Lord, having just had the Lord's supper with his Lord, all the blessing he has had, it took the cry of a chicken to bring him to his senses. Isn't that something? Deaf to his own conscience, deaf to the call of God on his life, a chicken awoke him to his sin. God's own chicken, God's own rooster. Make no mistake. He leaves the courtyard, having heard that rooster crow, remembers what our Lord has said, and goes out and weeps bitterly. He has so suppressed his conscience until the rooster crowed, and then he remembered everything, and then he saw everything. I'm not sure we can imagine what Peter felt 
in that moment. I suspect few of us have had such a, a visceral and sudden change like this in our lives, a challenge to our faith. Perhaps you have. But in that moment, he knew something about himself that he had never known before. He was a great sinner. He was a denier. That's what he had become by his own pride, his own hubris. And yet, friends, we have to say this is one of the principal acts or providences in his life that God used in him and through him to turn Peter unto himself. Unlike Judas, Peter's denial was not unto damnation. Why is that? It's because Peter was a child of God. It might seem inconceivable to say, well, how could a child of God uh, deny his Lord? It's eminently possible. You see, God in his Son had already had mercy on Peter. Peter's denial, while it contributed to the narrative of the Lord's isolated death, was a denial that was actually mediated through his death. That is to say, what Peter meant for evil, God would bring about great good in his life. But a few days later, that our Lord is walking with Peter on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and he will say to Peter, Feed my sheep. What? The one who cursed himself? If he was to know the Lord, the Lord restores him, brings him back, reignites his apostleship, and says to him, Feed my sheep? Though he fell to the point of denying his Savior, yet he would be delivered from it. Though he sinned greatly, he would be saved from that sin. Because even this sin is a sin of ignorance, a sin of weakness, a sin, yes, that he would have to live with for the rest of his life, but a sin ultimately that he was forgiven. This sin, his threefold denial, was covered by the blood of Christ. There's good news, you see, that God can use even the greatest of our sins for our own personal good and the good of the kingdom of heaven. Consider this, friends, as we close this morning. First, friend, it's possible that you're here today you may be confessing Christ and you don't really know him, or you may not even confess Christ. The call here today is to ensure that your faith is sincere. Not perfect, but sincere. Because a faith that is sincere can deal with the buffeting of this kind of failure. Lord willing, it will stop us from this kind of failure. But even if it doesn't, if we fail, a sincere faith united to Christ will mean that you, dear Christian, are forgiven even sins such as this. If you're not of faith here today, friends, you are denying Christ. 
There'll come a time when you can no longer deny him. You face him in judgment. Then it's too late to acknowledge him and to love him. Repent and believe in the Savior today. We understand this mistake, this sin, this fall could be any one of us here today. It was an apostle who was a betrayer. It was an apostle who was a denier. I want to say to you, friends, if you've experienced something like Peter's fall, not the same, but something like it, and you're living with regret and bitter sorrow from your past, I want to tell you there's absolutely no reason why that bitter sorrow should dominate your life. I want to tell you, rather, you need to meditate on the redemptive realities that we see throughout this passage and that surround this passage. Just as God brought great good out of Peter's fall, so too will he bring great good out of your fall, dear Christian. He most certainly will. Proverbs 24.16 says, A just man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked fall into mischief. The just man, the righteous man, falls seven times and rises again. How? By the grace of God and the mercy of God. You see, this is the ultimate reality of the text before us this morning. If Peter was forgiven for denying and deserting his Lord, friends, think how great the mercy and grace of God is towards us. It's mercy beyond measure, grace so amazing we can scarcely bring words to define it, everlasting love. Isn't that staggering? So we're not to live in the haunting shadow of past sins. We're not to live under the false assumption now that our sins are too great to be forgiven. It just isn't the case. No, you're called today to look to the Savior. As Peter would, but in a few hours and days, he would look to his Savior, knowing his Savior, resting upon his Savior, my Lord and my God. Because he, dear friends, is sufficient for all your needs. Let's pray. Our great God, we bless you. We bless you with all that is within us. We forget not your grace, because you, O Lord, forgive sins. You heal sicknesses. You redeem us from the pit, and you reveal your compassion unto us. Have mercy upon us, Lord God. Bless us richly. Give us faith, Lord God, that stands fast in the hour of trial. And give us faith, Lord God, to receive that mercy and forgiveness, even when we have failed you greatly. Oh, have mercy upon us. Prevent any one of us from falling as Peter fell. Prevent any one of us from drifting slowly away. 
And Lord, if there be any here that know you not, we plead with you, grant that knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is under salvation. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.